Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil. This is a show where you got I get to talk about sports, I get to talk about business, and I get to talk about everything in between. Today, my guest is Joe Cobbs. He is the professor at Northern Kentucky University and is also the co-founder of No Rivalry. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for letting me chat with uh, your students the other day. Here to here to help. That's what we're trying to do. So now I'm excited to learn a little bit more about you, learn a little bit more about what you do, why you do it. The first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? I feel like, you know, and what I teach my students is that it's a, uh, you get socialized into sports. And for most people that happens from family member, neighbor, older sibling, cousin, you know, something like that. Um, But for me, it was the media more um, surprisingly, because uh, I'm old enough to where there wasn't the kind of media that we have now, you know, Mm -hmm. like you had four broadcast channels, basically. Mm, My family didn't get didn't get cable until I was in high school. So I don't know if you can see the gray hair (laughs) if you're if you're looking at the video um, broadcast. But um, but still on Sundays, you know, we would uh, we were one of those families that went to church every Sunday and we get home. My parents would take a nap. And I would turn on the TV and what was on football. football. Um, and so uh, I just started watching football uh, even before I realized that the teams were located in certain areas. So I grew up around Cleveland, but I had no idea that the Browns were geographically close to me. That's funny. Um, you just always thought that oh, Browns are on again. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the other team that was always on, same team that's always on now, the Cowboys, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. And that's so, a given. It's annoying. Um, but as a kid, I was like, oh, this is and I called them the stars for like two years until my uncle corrected me and mm-hmm. was like, uh, I, I don't think you're talking about the USFL team, which there was a team called mm-hmm. the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, no. And and so then he explained the geography and stuff like that. And so that kind of that kind of got me into it. I mean, I was hooked. You know, I love the competitiveness of it and the action and uh, the unscripted nature of it, mm-hmm. I think, is one is the quality of sports that i still enjoy to this day yeah i don't understand why people watch reality tv shows just throw on a hockey game put on the last two yeah, minutes I'm, of a hockey game I'm and with you. i mean if you're not sweating you don't love like life in my opinion like there's nothing like that right like especially that put on the ninth inning of a baseball game runners on oh, two yeah. outs like there's I have not felt those feelings before. I've been to the World Series uh, when the Mets were in it a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I was at the game that they won. I don't know what that emotion was. I legitimately have no idea what that emotion was. I've never felt it before. Really hope I get to feel it again sometime because I would really love if the Mets would win. But I, I don't know the next time I'm going to get that feeling. And there's there's just nothing like it. The, the, the unscriptedness, I think, is, uh, you know, as you put it, is is just so important. Like, Why are people watching the Kardashians? Like, teach his own, of course, but... Man, I'm telling oh, you, yeah. it's the best. Rea- it is. Game? It's the best reality TV. I mean, I could tell. This is the great thing about sports is we could tell stories all day, yeah. right? Any sports fan could tell stories all day. But I'll just tell you one about the unscripted nature. My wife kind of broke the cardinal rule of oh, like yeah. jinx when I uh, we met in undergrad, Miami University, big Miami of Ohio. I was going to say not big the hockey U, was school, it? not okay. the U, okay. not the U. Um, the U is not as good at hockey. As, no, as Miami. <laughs> um, and so anyway, uh, and I worked in the athletic department there for a while as well. Um, and so when I was getting my PhD in Massachusetts, uh, 
the Red Hawks are in the national championship game. They're up by two goals oh. with two minutes to go in the national oh, championship. No. And my wife says, I can't believe we're going to win the national championship. And I was like, oh. no. Just just, just for everybody right? out there to understand, the most dangerous I mean, you know lead happened. in hockey yeah. is a 2 nothing lead. Yeah. Oh, no, man. That's brutal. I mean, two minutes left. Have that is brutal. Yeah. 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 They did not win. But um, And we can blame it on your wife. So shout out, uh, shout out your I, wife. Sorry it about still that comes up. Actually, the national champion in hockey this year was UMass, where mm -hmm. I went for my PhD. And um, and I didn't let her watch the game. I didn't yeah, let her watch the game way. with me because I was like, you jinxed it when it was our other alma mater. Like, That's funny. you're not watching it. Um, I love and it, they man. won. And it's yeah there there is there is nothing like it um now that that rarely happens right having that kind of a lead in a national oh, championship yeah. game yeah. with that little time left like that is a once one in a hundred shot especially right? in college i mean mm -hmm. you empathize with with any athlete oh, yeah. that goes through losing that but for those college athletes and i had worked for the team you know a, a oh. year or two years prior um oh, so, so i you knew, knew some a few of, those of them kids. Oh, oh, i knew no. all the coaches too you know and i don't i just I remember waking up the next day and you know how it is. Like, it's like the first thing that comes into your mind, right? Is that game that you watched last night when it yep. was a big game. And I remember thinking, I know how bad this is for me. I can't imagine what it's like for coach Blasey. Who's, who's mm -hmm. the head coach, you know, to wake up the next Ugh. day and be like, I was that close to winning the national championship. It is, um, it but, is brutal, man. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. As you that's, said, that's you can more, emphasize, one of the great things. Yeah. And you can kind of just move forward. The other team now they the way they didn't go to sleep that night, right? Like they, they didn't, they didn't have no. that feeling of waking waking up in the morning because no. I just never went to sleep. Uh, hopefully at least uh, just because that kind of stuff is crazy, but that's why we love sports, man. That's why we love sports. That's why I have this show because I really love sports and I love talking to the people that dedicate essentially their entire lives to working in this industry, right? It's a crazy industry. Supply mm -hmm. is very high. Demand is very high. The hours are very long. It's very difficult to get in. It's hard to stay in. Once you're there, people burn out constantly, especially as you were talking about on that media side. Um, but I'm kind of curious, like you, as you were saying, you got your PhD at, at Massachusetts, uh, UMass. Mm -hmm. um, you are now the professor at Northern Kentucky University. So, I mean, I had a really good time in college, but clearly you just wanted to stay there. So talk to me a little bit. <laughs> what was, uh, where, did you always want to be a professor, especially in the sports realm? No. Did it kind of just happen that way? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I had no intentions of being a professor when I was an undergrad, um, and until probably my senior year, I didn't even really have intentions of going to grad school. Um, and although, although I was a sports fan as a kid, and you know, we talked a little bit about that, um, I didn't think about sports as, as a career even when I first you know, entered college. Um, I didn't have a good understanding of what the jobs were in sports. And uh, you know, I knew there was a general manager and that was about it, right? And the so coaching can staff. I, what, uh, what year is this, if I'm allowed to ask? This, is like, this would have been 1995, I graduated high okay. school. So the internet um, really wasn't like the internet at all yet. No, no, I didn't even have an email address yet. I know mm. that, that like blows my students' minds now when I talk to them. And it I'm blows like, my mind. You How know, do people do things without internet? I'm like, email? you're like, a that's freshman. My job I didn't e yeah, I didn't even have an email address <laughs> when I was a freshman. And they're like, what? Oh, <laughs> and then they stopped funny. listening to me for the rest yeah. of the semester. Um, he's still old. So, but anyway. so, you know, I go to college and really the takeaway from that is that I didn't know anybody that worked in sports, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Like I had no family connections or anything like that. Um, and I went to school and I took a sports marketing class when I was, uh, I think second semester of my sophomore year. And, uh, I was a marketing major, marketing and finance major. Um, 
And I took the sports marketing class. It's kind of an elective uh, within the marketing category. And that professor, like a lot of people have these same stories, right? That professor really opened my eyes to the possibilities, you know, and he kind of took me aside and he's like, hey, you know, you're a pretty good student. It seems like you're really excited about this. Like, you know, you should think about contacting our athletic department. They have interns, mm -hmm. whatever. Right. And I had no clue, you know, until he uh, opened my eyes to this. And so I did. Um, and then what happened was I ended up that summer, I already had an internship lined up with Northwestern Mutual, like the financial mm -hmm. company. And it was a great internship. It was like very sales focused, but you, we got great sales training. Um, and I learned a ton in that internship, but I also realized this isn't what I want to do for my whole career, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was a guy in the office that was a part-time agent for, for Xavier student. This is in Cincinnati, Xavier students in university of Cincinnati student, like basketball players that were not good enough to play in the NBA, but they could play in Europe. Right. And so I went to him about halfway through the summer and I said, Hey, can I, you know, help you out with this agent stuff while, the, you know, at the same time doing kind of what I was doing mm -hmm. from an internship standpoint. And he was like, sure. And he was like, tomorrow morning, you know, show up at 5 a.m. and we'll get started. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, okay. And he's like, well, Europe, you know, they're like five hours ahead of us and we're trying to place players in Europe. And so that's when I do my agent stuff is like four to eight in the morning. And then I start my, you know, regular mm -hmm. job. Um, and so I did, and, um, I really enjoyed it. It led to an internship with the Pistons. Um, so I went up there, worked, worked there. I worked in the athletic department at, at Miami at my alma mater as a student, my senior year. And then I got a good graduate assistantship opportunity at Ohio state. Um, and so I ended up going to get my master's at Ohio state while at the same time working in the athletic department there. Um, and then I worked for an agency from there in Detroit, um, not that represented athletes, but an agency that represented sponsors basically, mm -hmm. um, and did events for our clients and stuff like that, uh, centered around sports. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go back to Miami as the marketing director for athletics about the no time way. that Roethlisberger was the mm -hmm. quarterback. So that gives you some timing, great timing to be the marketing director um, when say, you have yeah. a quarterback like that, uh, for your team. And so, um, the team was fantastic. Um, the basketball team was doing really well at that point, hockey team. Um, this is pre that national championship game, but they were ranked pretty much every single year. Um, and so it was a great time to be there. Uh, but getting back to your question, I enjoyed working with the interns. I always enjoyed kind of the research side of things. And so we do develop fan surveys and we develop season ticket holder surveys and I'd crunch the numbers and we try and get some insights from that. And um, I started kind of paying attention to some of the research journals a little bit um, about what they were writing about college athletics at the time. Um, and then I had an, a professor contact of mine, just reach out and say, hey, somebody bailed on me for a class. Do you think you could teach that class? It was a night class. It was a sports marketing class, which is what I was doing every day. Mm -hmm. um, so I taught it. Um, and then I got, you know, started to get serious. Like, hey, this is pretty cool. I really enjoy it. I have more interaction with the students than I do, like with my interns in this job. And so I like that aspect of trying to help, kind of like you mm -hmm. have done, um, help that next generation. Um, and, and again, I like the research side. And so, um, and the other thing from a more selfish or more lifestyle standpoint, which is something that I know you talk about as well, like when you work in sports and particularly when you work in college sports, or if you work in baseball, like, I mean, you were just working in a insane mm -hmm. amount of events, you know, and it was fine for me at the time I was a bachelor I actually got married while I was, uh, 
the marketing director at Miami, but we didn't have any kids or anything. And my wife was also, she has her own career and she was, you know, working a lot of hours. So it wasn't that big of a deal, but we got married and my wife said to me one time, I'll never forget this. She said, when we have kids, are you going to work this much, this many hours? You know, I was like, I don't know. I never really thought about it, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and so I started to think about what do I want my life to look like? You know, do I want to be an athletic director? And, um, I think athletic directors are amazing people, but it's not what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. ultimately. Um, you know, I think if I would have stayed in that college athletic track, I probably would have, you know, aimed for something like deputy AD of external relations or something like that, you know, but being the, being the person at the top that deals with the media, the parents, the the league, the controversies. Yeah. I mean, you're just on 24 seven, you have to be, you know, and, um, and I wasn't ready to make that, that type of commitment. Um, family was important to me. And so, um, so anyway, um, I started looking into professor track a little bit more. Um, just like you do for any career, I started talking to people that were mm-hmm. professors and asking them the question you just asked me. And then also, what do you like about your job? What do you not like? What am I not anticipating here that could be a downside? Um, and after I had enough of those conversations, I just kind of jumped in, applied to different PhD programs, decided what was the right sort of fit for me and uh, worked out really well. I mean, I made the definitely the right choice for me in that regard. And and uh, NKU is a good spot for me too, because we're in a college of business with our program mm-hmm. and not a lot of sports programs, uh, academic programs are in the college of business. Um, and that's one of the reasons that, um, that I'm at NKU. So it's a good opportunity for me. That's awesome, man. Well, kudos yeah. and congratulations. Got to meet some of your students last week. Very good people. Um, and and I, I think it's, you know, I I always like asking that questions to professors because my, you know, as you said, you kind of have that that one professor that sticks out in your head and was like, hey, this, this is something of interest to you. You should check this out. I didn't quite have a professor like that, but what I did have was, I, I never forget it. Um, it was my intro to supply chain class. Uh, my first semester at Rutgers, Professor Ricci, if I'm not mistaken, Victor, maybe Professor Ricci, he I took his night class um, and he would come in at, you know, six o'clock or whatever. So it's, you know, five o'clock job ends. He probably ate something and, and got in at six. And whatever that lesson was for the day, he'd write it on the board and he'd be like, this is what this word means. Just remember that this is how I applied it today in real life. And like, I just thought that was the coolest thing because I had a lot, everybody has those professors that are, I don't want to say just professors, but like that aren't, you know, practicing on a daily basis. Right. And and this guy literally came in and was like, this is what I did today. Here is the example of what we're learning about. And not only was it just reading out of the book and memorizing, but it was, Hey, this is how it happened. You know, this is a real life example. And that really stuck with me. And that's kind of ever since then, I was like, I've always, whatever I end up doing, I kind of want to just be like, you know, teach like two classes a week mm-hmm. like like maybe like tuesday maybe one class like a tuesday thursday kind of thing and just do that and like just be really awesome of course but more so just be able to impart the wisdom and actually give that actual like real life not just experience but like hey this is so real i literally just finished this project two hours ago kind of stuff and i i always that really resonated with me so shout out professor ricci if you're listening uh, but um no and that was well, always you know, a reason if, why i wanted to kind of just become I, I always called it adjunct and i was told not to say adjunct say part time or whatever but i want to do that one day i think it'd be kind of cool yeah i mean and i think like even for for um well the point that you bring up for full time professors it's something that 
I feel pretty strongly about, uh, and I know we're going to talk about the rivalry research mm-hmm. that I do. Um, that's one of the points of research, you know, like a lot of students don't think about the fact that their professor, if they're a full-time professor, mm-hmm. you know, they sort of have two roles, right? Yeah. They have the in the classroom role and then they have a research role. Now, of course it depends on the institution, but mm-hmm. for the most part, that's um, the structure of like a full-time professor's job. So they're in some cases like me, where they worked in the industry for a while. Um, that is a lot of my colleagues uh, are that way. Um, NKU sort of hires that sort of career path. Um, that's what they look for. Um, but we're not, you know, I'm not doing sports marketing every single day mm-hmm. now, like I like I used to. And that's where the research comes in, right? Mm-hmm. And so a good, in my mind, if I can say a good professor, their research ties directly to what they do in the classroom, mm-hmm. right? So like I do a lot of rivalry research and my other research area is motorsport sponsorship. And in both of those areas, I'm talking to people that are doing it every day and I'm, you know, getting data from them. I'm, you know, doing partnerships and saying, Hey, what are your problems? How can we gather some data? What can we do to, to research wise to kind of solve that problem? Mm-hmm. And if you're a student and you're listening and your professor's not making that connection, ask them, like, yeah. ask them like, Hey, what do you do your research on? You know? And it might lead to them st- starting to make yeah. those connections, which will hopefully make it exactly what you described mm-hmm. an experience that becomes more, more real. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, I always, um, yeah, that was just something that I really liked. And it's always nice to kind of talk to people that are doing it right like you and, and figuring out, you know, how to impart that wisdom, like get that knowledge, get that information and be able to disperse it to 18 and 19 year olds and 20 year olds in a way that's interesting that keeps them engaged, especially now in the middle of a, you know, pandemic, hopefully like back nine of the pandemic. I'm kind of crossing my fingers, a little, little bored Me of this too. shit at this point, but hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll kind of get back to some normalcy. But uh, so I do want to then talk about that a little bit. Uh, you are the co-founder of the no rivalry project um and when i read it it didn't make sense but when i say it out loud it makes a lot more sense i don't know maybe i say no k-n-o-w a little different in my head when i say I it I i'm reading i'm like no rivalry. that's the one downside yeah to the... yeah, 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 yeah. But, but i do like it we were smart and if you go to no rivalry like no rivalry.com ah, we also own smart. that domain and it Brilliant. points back to the correct domain so we got you go. covered I like that. Uh, fun fact, if you go to relentless.com, it just brings you to Amazon. That's always an interesting one. <laughs> um, but no rivalry, K-N-O-W, rivalry project. Um, I guess I want to... So which came first? The the perf- becoming a professor or what to research as a professor? You know, uh, probably... I mean, I had an idea that I wanted to do sponsorship Mm-hmm. right away you know before i even went to umass the rivalry as a research topic came a little bit later after i was already at umass um but it ties back to the industry experience because in my job at miami i used to have to write uh radio and tv copy for um like the script for the advertisements right and then our broadcast guy would voice mm-hmm. over the, the ads so i'd write the copy I'd give it to my boss to proofread and he would insert the word rivalry if we were playing any conference opponent, right? So Miami, Miami of Ohio is in the MAC, the Mid-American Conference. So if we were playing Bowling Green or Toledo or Akron or Ohio University or whoever in the conference, Kent State, um, he'd insert this word rival. And I'd always, I'd be, we were friends too. And I'd be like, what, 
you can't call every single opponent in the conference a rival or it loses all of its meaning, right? So that always stuck with me because it mm-hmm. kind of became a running joke between us after we had these debates where then he would just do it to get on my nerves. You yeah, know? I, I respect um, that. I respect that. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Um, but then when I – so then I go to UMass, you know, and I, I had already, you know, wor- started working on some sponsorship projects. And um, the guy who was in the cubicle next to me and kind of the big PhD room was um, David Tyler, who's the other co-founder um, with me of No Rivalry. And he was writing a paper, um, I think it was on like um, attendance demand modeling. So like, you know, predict writing a statistical model to predict attendance. And he was looking for like this definition of rivalry as one of like the regression terms. And he really couldn't find it like in the research literature, not a consistent definition. Mm-hmm. He was like, can you believe this? And I was like, oh, that can't be, you know, and then that kind of led to this discussion. You know, that was in probably 2008, maybe or 2007. And it just led to this evolving discussion of wow if nobody's doing this then we're gonna do it um that's pretty cool and uh yeah and now it's turned into no rivalry and we have a lot of our students involved with it um as well um to try and teach them kind of survey research methods and consumer research methods and and stuff like that using the context of of sports rivalry so before we dive into what no rivalry is now i'm kind of curious like what's the process like when going to your boss or whoever and be like, we think this is fun to research and we think this will make you money. So let us do it. like, how does that even happen? Like I can understand sponsorship. That's been a direct correlation of sports. That's really the lifeblood of all these things, right? Like we need yeah. money. Okay. Go find a giant sponsor. The, the super league right over in Europe. Here's $450 right. million. Make yeah. this shit happen. Um, but if like, but like that wasn't enough to yeah, make yeah, it happen. Right. For the uh, super it, it'll be in a couple of years. Don't worry. I know. Um, so, so, Sponsorship makes sense, but like, why, if it's never been done before, how do you take this to someone and be like, we think this makes sense to research. Here's why. And here's how this will benefit you. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a great question. And without getting, uh, you know, I'm not going to yeah, get I into guess the like esoteric yeah, details yeah, yeah, yeah. of academia. Um, but it is, I will make the point. It is one reason that the tenure system exists is so that it gives professors the flexibility to decide themselves, you know, hey, this is what I want to research. And as long as I can publish academic papers on the topic, meaning that external reviewers and editors um, find it important, then you can do it, right? Um, Now, before you get tenure, you know, I did a lot, I published a lot of papers on sponsorship because it was less risky from, Mm -hmm. uh, just from a career standpoint, because I knew I could publish those papers. You know, if I, if I did, the work quality to publish those papers, which I thought I could do, um, then I could do that. Now, you know, rivalry, it's a fun topic, right? We get that on message boards a lot. Like, wait, you a university pays you to research rivalry? Like, why? You know, um, we also get that reaction. That's the best job ever. (laughs) Sounds pretty (laughs) awesome. I'm not going to (laughs) lie, but here's the key. And this is how we sort of sell it to, um, to some of the grant, like we have grants that pay some of the Mm -hmm. students that work with us. I mean, one of the biggest problems in our society, and I think we can all agree on this, is the partisanship 
right? And the in-group, out-group fighting, like the refusal to kind of work together and just defining Not, not even work together. Group. Yeah, just like not even willing to talk to the other side, yeah. right? Like it's like, so ridiculous to me. You're defining like your group based on not being part of that group, yep. right? Instead mm -hmm. of what is the values of your group, you know? And we've kind of- Well, we're not that group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's that's what we've devolved to. Pretty and much. um, And- a lot of the social psychology that that is the foundation of our research and rivalry is based on that in-group, out-group mm -hmm. fighting. Now, it's really hard to – now, there are some great researchers that do it, but it's very difficult to get people to uh, – Admit? Yeah, to kind yeah. of talk about how they really feel mm -hmm. about sort of political parties or yeah. even religion. But people love to talk about sports, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not um, – it's still acceptable to use profanities against that rival team, right? Yep. Um, and so in that context, we study it, first of all, because we like it. And, we, and it is fun. You know, I'm not saying that it's not fun. Um, but it does give us insights into, okay, well, what creates this tension? What creates this hostility between groups? And why are like Giants fans particularly hostile toward Eagles fans, but yet not very hostile toward, I don't know, Indianapolis Colts fans, right? I mean, they're both out groups to, to the Giants. Mm -hmm. um, they're equally likely to well maybe not equally likely but they could each win the super bowl which is what the giants are also going for right um and so that's what we sort of drill down into is using sports as a context to better understand kind of this global phenomenon mm -hmm. um and then there's a business side to it as well so even in sports um like from a sports business standpoint in demand modeling, like where you're trying to predict attendance, like rivalry is one of those factors, mm -hmm. you know, and yep. it's not significant, meaning statistically significant in every model, but in most models, um, it comes out to be significant, meaning that it adds a, a considerable portion of demand, either through attendance or TV ratings to a matchup of teams if fans perceive it as a rivalry. We've seen lots of proliferation of sponsorship around rivalries. Some of it activated well some of it activated extremely poorly um i would argue and so um and i think it mostly comes back to the fact that we don't have a great understanding of rivalry um which seems a little bit odd because we talk about it so much you know as sports fans but we talk about it on more of a surface level mm -hmm. i would argue and we don't think about well what is underlying that those feelings and that animosity toward one opponent compared to another well the people from philadelphia are just worse they're just bad people <laughs> so that that is what drives most That's of the my surface hate. level no right? it's not have you ever been to a philadelphia eagles football game they're horrible human beings I like don't think they so. are bad so. people not I in have, philadelphia for i sure. have never seen so many smashed glass bottles in a parking lot before that was insane <laughs> uh, i watched people get jumped as they got out of their car, just because they were wearing Giants shirts, it was like legitimately, I do not kid you, they're awful human beings. Well, Every I'm not single gonna, one of them. I'm not going to name the school, but there's a particular school that I feel that way about yeah. where I was on the sidelines as an administrator and they're throwing batteries, like double A batteries. At Eagles, our Eagles fans did that. Yeah, Eagles. Well, that's the guy. And the from players, all the fans. players put their helmets on, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have a helmet. I'm going to the press box. You know, <laughs> like forget the sidelines. I'm getting hit with batteries. Oh, like, I'm yeah, out of here. 
it's not great, but that's sports, man. That's sports. But no, um, I think, and I also like how you kind of tie in the the sponsorship aspect aspect to rivalry because that's true, right? Like I'm more likely to tune into a Mets game against the Phillies, the Braves, or the, like the Yankees than I am again, like the Mets and the Red Sox. Like that game's on right now. Like, yeah, I'll get to watching it, but it's not nearly as important to me as some of those other uh, teams are. And then in football, especially where, you know, you only get, well, now we get 17 games, but I'm watching the two games against the Cowboys. I'm watching the two games against the Eagles. I don't really care about the football team, but I'll probably end up, well, I mean, I'm watching all these games, but you can tell people are much more excited and amped up about those games. And I guess I'm well, kind of curious Ian, why. Not only your favorite teams, but also if you do watch a game that doesn't involve your favorite team, either it's a game of high stakes, right? Meaning that it's like a playoff game or mm-hmm. it has some um, championship implications or something, or most likely it's a rivalry game. You know, I mean, you look at the, That's true. how many people watch, I watch Army Ohio Navy. State. Yeah. I watch Army Navy. I, mean, I love that game. Yeah. Every single and year I, and watch I don't, well, I have some family military ties, but, um, but that's not why I watch that game. You know, Bama, um, Georgia. I watch that game yeah. every year. Don't care yeah. about either school. I just want to watch that game. That's true. I never really thought about it like that. Yeah, rivalry week in the NCAA is always fun. Oh, that's um, my favorite that's, week of the year. Uh, uh, <laughs> championship bat. Like that is. So I guess. So where. So this idea kind of like came about slowly. It sounds like. Or like you guys just figured it out. And you're like, shit, we should do this. This would be kind of cool. You start doing it. What I guess. So like what exactly is it and how has it evolved over the years? The no rivalry project. Yeah. So one of the things like as a researcher, the first thing that you do on any project is you go and you see what's been researched before. Right. And so um, there was some rivalry work before, but it was mostly uh, like qualitative work that was real in depth about a particular rivalry. It wasn't looking like across a whole mm-hmm. bunch of rivalries for commonalities or compare and contrast, right? Uh, and then there was some pretty good, really good rivalry work, like geopolitical rivalries, right? Oh, so yeah. nothing to do with sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some sibling rivalries, some good research on that. Um, so that's what we did is we looked at what those other researchers had done. And then because there wasn't that much in sports, the first step for us was just to interview fans in very open-ended interviews, right? And, and record the interviews so that we could transcribe them, um, make sure that, you know, all their work, well, you know, as a media member, like mm-hmm. how important it is to get the exact, right? I want to know exactly what they said when I come back to it. And um, and so we did a bunch of interviews across a bunch of different sports with fans. And we kind of used some of our friends. And then we used what's called snowball sampling just to ask them, hey, do you know anybody that would be good to interview? And we were particularly trying to look at a broad array of sports, but mm-hmm. also uh, geographically broad outside the United States as well. Not oh, just wow. in the United States, but outside the United States. So, so we did a bunch of hooligans too? interviews. Yeah, we did some in Ooh. soccer. We did some in Korean baseball, Japanese baseball. Um, uh, you know, just we really tried to to do a lot. I think we did Indian field hockey even, which was maybe the most, um, uh, it's very popular, but Mm -hmm. we don't hear about it that much in the United States. Um, and so anyway, we did a bunch of these interviews and the main questions were just, what's your favorite team? Why is that your favorite team? What's that team's biggest rival? Why is that a rivalry? What's that team's second biggest rival? And why is that a rivalry? Mm -hmm. And then what's a team that, they compete against it's not a rival and why isn't that a rivalry right and that was basically it right and then we sort of you know had some follow-up questions depending on what they said um but doing those interviews then allowed us to get a much better understanding of okay how can we build a survey to then survey you know hundreds or thousands of now mm-hmm. we've surveyed over thirty thousand fans um 
And, but we had to have kind of that basic core knowledge foundation to know what to ask in the survey um, and how to sort of go about it. And so now we have a survey. Uh, if you go to the website, norivalry.com, like one of the first things you'll see is take the survey. Um, I would love it if any listeners go and they take the survey first. It is a little bit long. It's a little um, long. It is a little bit long. So you've got to prepare yourself five or 10 minutes. It's going to take you to get through the survey. Um, and then look at the results, right? Because if you look at the results first, it might mm-hmm. bias you bias you a little bit. I looked at the Giants results and then I started doing the Mets survey. So oh, I will okay. finish the Mets yeah. survey without looking at the Mets results. I promise you that. All right. All right. There we go. And there's and that's a good point. Now we, we started with college football in 2013, I think is when we first collected the survey data. Um, and then we expanded into uh, some of the North American pro sports, the five major leagues, um, including MLS. And then um, now we've expanded. We've got a WNBA survey uh, that's available. We've got a, a NWSL survey that's available. We've got um, uh, English Premier League just went on, Bundesliga, uh, Women's Super League, Australian Rules Football, Indian Cricket. We actually have results for Indian Cricket that you can mm-hmm. see on the website. Um uh, the IPL Indian Premier League. Anybody, um, anybody that's listening, if you think LeBron James is famous, like those cricket players in India, oh. they are they are ultra mega superstar. I think the captain Huge. of the Indian, um, uh, like national team, is like like four times as popular than LeBron James. Like it's just ridiculous, and we hear literally nothing about. It. I hear a little bit about it. I went to Rutgers, and so anytime I would yeah. take the um. New Brunswick train station, which means nothing to you, but it's right in uh, right in Edison, which has a high Indian population. All the advertisements would be for cricket. And I was like, what's going on? So it's like stepping in another country is pretty cool. But anyway, I apologize. So you're global no, okay. with this entire survey. Sounds like yeah. Very yeah. Global. Now, the results that you can get on the website are just for the North American leagues and college football. Okay. Uh, and we do have the Indian cricket uh, results up there. Um, and so we just started collecting data for some of those, some of the foreign league or what we in the United States would consider to be foreign leagues. Um, but that's sort of the next step um, that uh, comparing what we've learned in the United States to, to what we learn in the rest of the world. Um, and then also uh, we've sort of discerned these 10 elements of rivalry um, that are every rivalry doesn't have the 10 elements, but there's some combination or some mm-hmm. rivalry recipe um, of these ingredients that creates the rivalry. And we really want to start drilling down on that and looking at how do different recipes result in sort of different levels of either animosity or respect or a little bit of both or, you know, friendliness or certain ingredients that just never really spark. And it just, the, some of the ingredients are there, but it just never really becomes a rivalry. Right. Um, and so that's sort of our next, that's Mm -hmm. our next step. Um, it's, but right um, now on the website, you can go and you can go to the team pages like you said you did. Um, and you could see, well, what do Mets fans, you know, say how big of a rival is the Braves, you know? And then you could look and you could see, well, what do the Braves say about the Mets, mm-hmm. right? And it's kind of fun to go back and forth and yeah. see, well, I think this team's a rival, but they don't think I'm a rival, you know? What's up with that? I, I noticed that with um, on the Giants page, because again, I didn't look at the Mets one yet, but on the Giants page, you know, the Eagles, the Cowboys were very, very high. The Washington football team was there, and then 
the Patriots fans found Giants fans. The Patriots fans found the Giants more of a rival than the Giants found the Patriots, which was really interesting. Obviously, yeah, because of those two Super very Bowls. Very unusual, it's just like, too. It's, uh, it is because most yeah. teams, you know, will out most fans will mm-hmm. allocate some points to the Patriots just because they've been so good for so long, yeah. right? Um, but the Patriots hardly ever reciprocate. But mm-hmm. there, you found yeah. a little anomaly. Yeah. Well, eighteen and zero. Oh, whoops. 18 and one. Oh, that stinks. <laughs> but, um, so I guess like with, with that, like, it's just, it was really interesting to kind of look through some of this stuff and, and try and digest it a little bit more. And I think another one, you know, another, um, uh, I guess emotion maybe we can use that you were talking about prior, like one that also exists is jealousy, right? Mm-hmm. Like the only reason I consider the Yankees a rival to the Mets is because I mean, they're like, you know, a subway ride away but also because I'm super jealous of a, of a franchise that can competently run itself. Right. Like, and then you see the Mets and how they're always just kind of putting their foot in their mouth and stumbling over themselves constantly. And it's like, why can't, why can't we be like them? Like they're always good. They always win. They're across the town. Like they're across the street. How can we not figure that out? So I'm sure the Mets and I will find out later. I'm very confident. The Mets find the Yankees a much bigger rival than the Yankees find the Mets, of course. Um, So I guess what, what has this, so this project, as you said, the research has been going on since 2013. As you said, you kind of have some next steps, but what has this succeeded at? Like, what are, what are some of the things that, I guess, what did you, what did you, you put this information out in the world? Mm-hmm. What did you try and find from it? And did you find that? Or did you find something you didn't think you were going to find? I said, find a couple too many times in that sentence. Did you understand <laughs> it? I, th- I think so. You correct right. me if I'm, Roll if with I it. get See off track. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that we found um, that is not necessarily surprising, but um, but we were able to support it with data was that animosity, and we define animosity using some measures of prejudice. Um, and so, when you think about prejudice, the root of it is just prejudging, right? You're you're judging somebody um, without necessarily knowing them, right? So, prejudice and discrimination, right? discrimination and relationships. And so when you take the survey, you'll, you'll, you'll notice those questions now that I've kind of Mm -hmm. prompted it. Um, and it'll ask you like, you know, how upset would you be if your son or daughter became a fan of, and it'll put whatever you said was the the rival team, Mm -hmm. you know, and it'll, you know, how upset would you be if, uh, you know, your spouse was, or would you consider a spouse, that was a fan of the rival team or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And those are the, those are the discrimination questions. Um, and we actually took that from racial and cultural discrimination research and we just adapted them to sports. Like we didn't make up the items. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that we found was that the animosity or hostility toward rival fans is highest in the NFL compared to the other leagues. Really? Even yeah. college sports higher. Yeah. Higher wow. than college sports. Um, NFL is by far the high. Well, I shouldn't say by far, but it's significantly statistically significantly higher than the NHL. And those two are much higher than the other um, sports. And part of our hypothesis for why that is, you know, we don't test that. We mm-hmm. haven't tested that aspect yet, but is just the physicality of the sport, you know, mm-hmm. And then you might say, well, what about college football? Like that didn't rank as high as the NFL and it's the same, basically the same kind of physicality. But I think in college, you sort of have a, 
you've got these alumni and, and students that are involved in it. And while there is a lot of animosity, I think there's a level of respect. Again, this is not our research, but this mm-hmm. is what I hypothesize as to being behind what we found. There's like a level of respect that's maybe not there when you talk about the NFL and professional sports. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, without that level of respect, you sort of feel more um, entitled, I guess you could say to um show animosity toward that that rival fan um just because you don't respect them um the envy you brought up an interesting point and we're now we've separated out sort of our measure of prejudice to where some of the measure represents envy or you call it a jealousy but it's mm-hmm. kind of same thing yeah, right yeah, yeah. is that envy and then part of the measure measures scorn so like when you think of scorn, think of like big brother, little brother situation, mm-hmm. right? Where the big brother just kind of has scorn for the little brother, like just leave me alone, right? Like I don't want to be bothered by you. Like mm-hmm. that's the idea of scorn. And so it'll be interesting to see how that comes out as it relates to teams that are sort of dominant in the rivalry on the field. Oh, yeah. Um, and so we'll see. But getting back to what we've already learned. So when you look at our 10 elements of rivalry, one thing um, that we've discerned and we're, and we're really interested in testing this internationally, but is that there's two particular elements of the 10 that are highly related, highly correlated to that prejudice and discrimination. And those two elements are unfairness, um, which we describe as like discrimination by the authorities, mm-hmm. you know, meaning the league, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. everybody thinks the league favors the Cowboys or in the MLS, a lot of fans think the league favors the New York teams um, or the galaxy. Um, and I'm a big formula one fan. Like everybody think, well, definitely they favor Ferrari um, the governing <laughs> See, body. I, I mean, I would, I, my dad would probably <laughs> no mother F, my dad would mother F you up and down the street. If you heard you say that though. I mean, they he do. Thinks, like, he thinks Lewis Hamilton, he thinks Lewis Hamilton gets everything that's put on his plate. He doesn't even think he's a good driver. It's I'm like, dad, you're, you're just being ridiculous now. He's like, no, I hate that guy. Blah, 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 blah. So like, All right, man. So that's really interesting. See, but that's, but see how fired yep. up people mm-hmm. get about that yep. aspect. It's and, funny the psychology behind it is if you feel like your team is being slighted, then the scales aren't even right. Mm -hmm. It's unfair. And so you can be extra hostile and that will sort of even the scales, right? Because you think the scales are unbalanced. So that was when that's present in a rivalry, this is what we found in our research. When that feeling is present in a rivalry, it's particularly hostile. The other element was cultural difference, right? Uh, Or difference in values is how Mm -hmm. we define that. Um, and that's just a, a fact that it's harder to empathize, right. With somebody that you don't share certain values with. That's and, like, um, like, uh, like Notre Dame, Miami Catholics versus convicts. Kind yeah, of thing, that's right? a, that's yeah. the example I use in class when oh, we talk about love that it. actually. Ooh, that's um, a good example to use. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and actually I tried to buy one of those shirts, you know, like a while you, ago, cause yeah, I wanted they, to wear it in class. That's funny. Um, and I found a couple knockoffs, but I really wanted like an yeah, original because I think the original be has the schedule on the back yeah. of whatever year that was, uh, the Notre Dame schedule. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, that's a separate story, but that's a great example of that factor, right? Like clearly different values. Right. Um, I also use, uh, 
El Clasico with Real Madrid and Barcelona mm -hmm. um, because one is sort of nationalist Spain. It's the capital of Spain. You know, they have the royal title that was given to them by Franco and all of that. And then you've got the separatists, you know, Catalonians. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah exactly. And they want to be, you know, it's totally different sort of set of, of culture and values. Uh, and it just plays itself out in this tremendous soccer rivalry. Mm -hmm. Uh, or football, maybe I should say rivalry. Yeah, we're um, in America. It's fine. Yeah. I don't think anyone's gonna get angry at you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's just so interesting to kind of just see all these things. And like, I know that they, they all existed, right? Like Catholics versus comics. I was like back in the eighties. Like very clearly, cultural differences played a huge role oh, yeah. in that, right? It was Notre Dame. It was you know, good old boys. They're going to church on Sunday. They have you know the priest in the huddle with them, kind of shit. And then you have that Miami team who. I mean, let's be honest, it was really just because they were black. They were considered convicts, right? And so, like, that kind of led, and they, you know, they they played a lot tougher, and they were stronger, so they kind of yeah. had that quote Well, they embraced, you know, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, embraced yeah. it, right? They wore the, the combat uniforms yep. and everything. Um, and so that just made both sides hate each other even more because, you know, of, uh, of course, the culture and the, the actual values that come with it. So so I guess, like, in, in general... I have some words written down here and I want to know if that, if, if these are the ones that I'm thinking of, but like what makes a rivalry? Like how, how does it work? And I guess, why does it work like that? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so in, within the 10 elements, you know, one of the other things that we've learned over time, you know, and in, in these 10 elements, originally, I think it was like 15, you know, from the interview, we did all these interviews, we coded mm -hmm. all the interviews and we looked for commonalities and well, we probably started with a list higher, more than 15, but then we started to try and drill down like, oh, are these two really the same thing, you know? Um, and so that's how we sort of arrived uh, at these 10. And and we're always looking for, you know, something that we're missing, right? Any good researcher knows that I don't know everything about the topic. Mm -hmm. And that's a great thing about rivalry. I could never know everything about rivalry, you know? Um, and my students teach me stuff about rivalry every day. Um, and so, but within those 10, we have been, we have enough data and we've done enough interviews and kind of been studying this long enough that there are sort of a few solid rules. And one is that, you need consistency of competition. You know, um, you have to sort of play that team enough mm -hmm. over time that it creates the opportunity. It's not just the consistency, but then that's correlated or it creates the opportunity for these conspicuous moments or these defining moments within the rivalry, right? It just makes sense. The more that you interact, the more that likely or the better chance that there are for these moments to happen. And so that's two of the elements that are really key to that question that you asked, like what makes a rivalry is you have this consistent conflict, this consistent competition. And then within that consistency, these moments arise that kind of every fan remembers, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then another one of those elements is conspicuous characters, which is like the stars or mm -hmm. the coaches, or sometimes it's the owner, you know, um, in the, in the Cowboys Redskins rivalry, it goes way back to the owners. And when the Cowboys were trying to get into the NFL and the Redskins were trying to block them and there's lawsuits and stuff, um, stealing the fight song and stuff like that. Um, but it's those, uh, aspects that form this narrative and that's really what a rivalry is mm -hmm. it's a narrative you know and the reason that certain teams aren't rivals like i'm here in cincinnati or, or greater cincinnati you know uh, my university's right in metro cincinnati but on the kentucky side of the river um here in cincinnati i mean you look at the reds for example the oldest professional baseball team um 
they have played the Brewers a lot, but the Brewers are not really a rival mm-hmm. because there just hasn't been those defining moments that have occurred. And while there's been some characters on each side, they've never, you know, overlapped. gotten in a fight yeah. or mm-hmm. yeah, they haven't overlapped or there's, there's just no narrative to that competition between those two opponents. Um, and so when we look at the elements, you know, you can look at that list on the website and you can pick out, oh yeah, I could see where this comes together in mm-hmm. a narrative that makes a, you know, a great rivalry. And that's why Catholics versus convicts is so great because you mm-hmm. just described a narrative in three words. Yep. Um, and everybody understands it, right? Uh, I mean, everybody's a college football yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's where like pushing our research toward the business side, that's where we argue the business side comes into it, is that if I understand rivalries well enough, I can understand what makes authentic rivalries. And I would definitely caution against trying to create a rivalry artificially Mm -hmm. um, because some teams have tried to do that and generally it hasn't gone well uh, what was the terrible um, one uh what was it uh yukon and, uh, and uh, uh, ucf yeah, the civil yeah. conflicts and everyone's like what is this yeah what but what you can do i would argue is that if you understand the elements is as a marketer you can s- start to sort of promote those elements individually without mm-hmm. kind of calling it a rivalry and then you can kind of put all the ingredients together and see mm-hmm. if the spark happens right yeah. And if it doesn't, then that's fine. But, um, but if it does, then you can recognize, okay, what's causing the spark. And then I can promote it in a responsible way. And so by knowing what elements lead to a lot of animosity, it also helps you understand, okay, you know, maybe calling, and and I know Catholics versus convicts was a bootleg, you know, campaign. It wasn't the athletic departments doing that. It was the athletic departments. Come on. That man. would, we that. well, definitely it years later, years <laughs> later, they're all about it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and well, they might do it, but I would say it's probably somewhat irresponsible because of what can result, you know, our, our yeah. research shows that, um, that you can get some, you get, that's what leads to some of the violence that we mm-hmm. see in yeah. Europe, or that's what I'm speculating. We don't have data on that yet, but I'm speculating that once we get that data back, that's what we're going to see is that what's driving a lot of those rivalries is the, the difference in values the, we call it disparate values, but it's just basically different cultures, cultural values and some sort of feeling of um, discrimination by the league or by mm-hmm. authorities where they're favoring Real Madrid or they're favoring Manchester United. Um, and, and I think that you'll see that that, will lead now there'll be other elements in there as well without a doubt mm-hmm. um but uh but i think that that's where marketers can look at those elements and say okay well i can kind of promote these elements and fans get really excited about that aspect of it but it might not lead to some antisocial outcomes that i don't mm-hmm. really want to produce yeah right? don't really want to deal with too much of that uh never never need literal blood on your hands that's, that's a little ridiculous right. it is just sports yeah. guys believe me this stuff runs my <laughs> life too but like I'm not going to get into a fight over anything unless it's an Eagles fan. So um, a couple, couple last points uh, that I'm kind of curious about Um, you, I I am, I'm just very curious from your research, like the longstanding traditional rivalries, right? Like Yankees, Red Sox from 19, whatever, Mm -hmm. because Babe Ruth, blah, 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 versus kind of ones that are are starting to pop up. And and I don't think it's a rivalry yet, but I think in the next few years, Ohio State-Clemson, 
they don't play each other during the year, but it just turns out they're two of the four teams that are always making this college football playoff, right? And they've had some incredible games over the last couple of years, but I wouldn't quite call it a rivalry yet, but I can see it getting to that point, right? They played, what, three times in the last six years, five years, something like that. I continue, like, at what point, when can you start to consider something a rivalry? Or I guess, like, what, is there a necessary length of time in any of this? And like the Reds and the Brewers, right? They've been playing each other for however long, but nobody cares because it was such a long span where nothing happened, right? The Reds had the big red machine. Yeah. And I don't think the Brewers have actually ever been good in my life. I'm not totally sure about that. <laughs> but like, like how like how does that play into it? Just the time factor of all these things. How does that play into rivalries? Um, it, it, obviously from, from your research. Yeah. The way that we look at it, um, we are pretty careful about not, defining rivalry for the fans we let the fan decide what they think is a rivalry now we have a definition of rivalry for Mm -hmm. our academic papers and stuff um but we just tell them you know you have these rivalry points you can allocate them however you want um but we don't want to superimpose sort of our view of what it is on them before they take the survey Um, We want them to kind of take the survey and then decide. Now, how that gets back to your question is, um, so like I'll still occasionally get in friendly arguments with people who say this is a rivalry, you know, and I'll be like, no, it's not, you know, and sometimes I'll even when I'm maybe being extra annoying, I pull up data on my phone from the website and say, that's a little little too much. That's a rivalry. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of funny. Um, But it is a rivalry to the fan. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like I can't tell them what's what is a rivalry. Like if they think it's a rivalry, then it's a rivalry. Now, um, getting closer to your question about the timing is, I think that if you have enough meetings, and what is enough meetings? It kind of depends on the sport, yeah. right? So, like, in and I football, guess the, the the bigger the game too, right? Exactly. Yeah. The more that's riding on that game. Um, and so we would call one element that we haven't talked about yet that, that is relevant to this is the competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. And by that, using your Ohio State Clemson example, those are the two most competitive program, along with Alabama. Mm-hmm. Those are the most competitive college football programs since the playoffs started. Um, and so if that continues to happen, then we would, I would definitely expect to see those fans start to allocate. I'm sure they probably already are, you know, um, allocating some points, those mm-hmm. that are taking the survey now uh, to each other. Ohio State Clemson actually has a little bit of history because Woody Hayes' game where he punched the player mm-hmm. happened to be mm-hmm. a bowl game against Clemson. Um, but they don't play very often. So that's an example where you don't have a lot of consistency, but the consistency that you do have, like in the last few mm-hmm. years, has been extremely competitive, right? Mm-hmm. Very high stakes. Um, another good example of that is Cavs Warriors. So Cavs yeah. Warriors, if you go to our NBA page, you'll see it's still rated, um, according to our data, as like the fourth or fifth most intense NBA rivalry. But that's because on the website, we aggregate the data, you know, from when we started collecting NBA data, which probably would have been 2016 until the so, current data. <laughs> Eventually, pretty yeah, important that was time period in that rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, we'll maybe have a time bar or a slider on there where you can mm-hmm. look at how the rivalry evolves over time, right? We'd love to to have that at some point. Um, but the point being, like, fans that are filling that survey out now, they're probably not, you know, Golden yeah. State fans aren't allocating points to the Cavs. Or if they are, they're allocating – or I should mention, 
we give fans a hundred points. They can allocate it to any of their opponents. That's that's the main measure on the website. Um, you know, out of their hundred points that Golden State can allocate, those fans are probably allocating one or two to the Cavs, if mm-hmm. that, right? And and probably the same way with the Cavs. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think you do have these rivalries that are kind of like pop up rivalries um, that certainly exist for a short period. But if they lose that consistency, then it's gonna it's gonna fade, you know, yeah. over time. And the less history that you have going in to sort of that period the quicker I think that it fades off. So like Cavs mm-hmm. Warriors fades off right away because there's just oh, yeah. not enough. There's not enough history, but you look at Ohio state, Michigan, there's still the consistency in football, but Ohio state's won a lot of yeah. games in a row, but that rivalry it's maybe fading a little bit, but it's got so much history that it, it can maintain a period of mm-hmm. maybe less competitiveness than would be ideal for, uh, for a rivalry. I also assume one of those teams threw batteries at you. Was that the story from before? No, no, no. I would no. just assume Michigan fans team, would throw batteries. Team in West Virginia, actually. So, yeah, maybe that was a Mac thing. Then um, it was I a love, Mac thing. I love Maction. Give me, it, give me more Tuesday, was, Wednesday right. night it football. It was a weeknight I, game too. I'm wow, in, I'm in like, for some Maction, baby. That is, that is impressive. Fun. Um, one word that I saw on the, uh the the page for rivalry uh so you talked about prejudice you talked about discrimination schadenfreude yeah I so don't think you really brought that up yet so for our german uh, our non-german speaking friends if you don't <laughs> mind explaining what that means because you have a really nice definition on the website but like sure. what exactly is that and how does that contribute to a rivalry so schadenfreude is like a measure of joy and other people's misfortune right yep. so something bad happens to the eagles. somebody the eagles. the eagles and you're really happy about it Cloud you know? nine, baby let's go and so it's a little bit well it's it's certainly a, a separate construct or a separate idea from r- discrimination and relationships and prejudice and that's why we measure it separately and uh one of the ways that we measure it is by asking people we have these like scenarios where it's like Uh, a natural disaster happens to the practice field of whatever, you know, and it inserts your rival automatically in the survey, you know, how, how does that make you feel? And you've got all these different descriptors, right. Uh, And levels intensity of, of how you feel about it. Uh, The opposing coach gets indicted for tax evasion. You know, how does that make you feel? Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's one of the, that's That's a deep cut, man. Jeez. Uh, uh, The rival team superstar, you know, gets an injury that's not life threatening, but, We'll keep him out for a while um, by no fault of his own. Um, and and it's kind of like, how do you feel about that, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, and it's interesting. Know, and your your data is anonymous, so let's let's make sure that yeah. everyone knows, oh, right? Yeah. So like yeah. when I answer uh, that question like a horrible human being because I am, <laughs> you don't know that was me. You just know that's thrown into the data. So anybody out there listening, go take the survey. Don't worry. Well, when I see, you. there's also room for you to add open-ended comments. So when I see all those comments about yeah, what Eagles, you did to Eagles yeah. fans, I'm going to know, I'm going to know it was you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a fun measure. Um, you know, we, we've got uh, the, it's just a bar graph on the website, but eventually we'll, we'll get like a fun infographic, you know, that we'll use uh, for that measure. I'd like, I'd like to do that in the next iteration of the website. Um, but um but now that you, you know, if you're listening to this and you weren't kind of aware of schadenfreude in the past, like now you're going to find yourself 
like feeling that way mm-hmm. and it adds a little bit of guilt to it now that you actually are conscious of nope. like oh well well no, you're you know yeah, no you're in here. east coast all right east coast. oh let me add this in this reminds east coast me. bias no but oh, close that's a good so one. we did true, a test true. of um we did a test of where the most animosity is among sports fans by region. And we used the U S census region. So the Northeast, the Southeast, the Midwest, um, the West, and then we made Canada its own region. I know that's not U S census, but, <laughs> but there's Canadian teams in our sample. And we have a lot of Canadian data from fans and I know not all Canadians are the same. So forgive me for making Canada only one region. Um, but the most animosity amongst sports fans across all the sports. So we grouped all the sports together and we just compared the regions and how they measured and our different scales of animosity. Northeast, by far the most animosity toward rivals. What do you think was the least amount of animosity toward rivals out uh, of those regions? Well, Canada, you said hockey was very uh, contentious. So I'm assuming it wasn't Canada because we all know every Canadian is a good person, right? So it's probably, I'm going to go with it was not Canada. Um, do people care about sports on the West coast? Like, I feel like they don't actually care about sports. I think that's a pretty, I, I I'm with you. I would have guessed that too, for the same, I would have had the same reasoning, but it actually was Canada. Like oh, no Canada <laughs> had <funny>. the <laughs> least amount of animosity. And you even okay. said like, well, we yeah. generally think of Canadians as friendly, but your line of reasoning was good because hockey was a mm-hmm. high hostility sport, but still, the Canadians, when you just do it over all the sports, you know, um, they had the least amount of animosity. So, yeah, I guess like who do Raptors fans hate? Like who do <laughs> Blue Jays fan? Like they probably hate the Yankees a little bit, but like there's no well, other even team within for them the hockey, like... you know, they have that strong, you know, I think um, they have really strong rivalries mm-hmm. uh, within hockey. And if you look at our NHL list, even though I think there's only what eight or nine, uh, Canadian franchises, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah, I think um, seven or eight. I don't know. They're well represented in our top ten rivalries list within the NHL, but that's measured based on the intensity of the point allocations, mm-hmm. you know, between the two fan bases, rivalry points. But when you look at the measures of kind of discrimination and prejudice, they're intense rivalries, but they're real. But they're still not, you know. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, I wouldn't mind if that person joined my family by marriage. <laughs> like, that's okay. Or I would hire somebody who was a fan of that, or I would work that's for funny. a boss who was a fan of, you know, like they were kind of willing to get over it. Whereas uh, those of you from no. the Northeast were like, no, I'm not getting over this. I'm not getting <laughs> over that. I am not. Um, all right. Last question. So this is a little longer than expected, but Joe, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate uh, you answering all this sure. for me. And then hopefully everyone enjoys listening to it. But one thing, about rivalry um oh, i also just want to bring up one rivalry that's not a rivalry uh oklahoma and oklahoma state that's not a rivalry if you lose like 80 percent of the time i don't know the game just has a name that doesn't make it a rivalry well, do you but, want me to get my phone out and show you the data no, yeah no, no 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 kidding. no it is what they're like what the last like 50 Actually, games it's oklahoma, i think it's like, really lopsided six it's a joke you know, we have a list rivalry. on the website of the most unbalanced rivalries, and I'm going to look it up in college football. I think it's on the list of the it most unbalanced. The Oklahoma it's State the number wins. two. Yeah. It's the number two most unbalanced because Oklahoma State fans allocate 63 points of their mm-hmm. 100, and Oklahoma fans only allocate 15 of 100 yeah. points. That's that big, well, big uh, I'm sure Oklahoma and Texas is a little bit. Yeah, uh, a little yeah bit they heavier, allocate but, a lot of their points to Texas. Yeah. 
Um, but that's that big brother, little brother thing, right? Like I'm curious. What are, no, don't tell me Mets. Uh, well, I, yeah, no, don't tell me Mets. I'll see that later, but <laughs> I'm sure Mets Yankees is very, very similar to that. Um, but mostly one thing that comes with rivalry is I'm a very positive person, but usually it's a lot of negativity that comes with rivalry. I hate this team. I hate them and I hate the people that root for them. Right. How do we use rivalry for the power of good? And, and how are you trying to do that? Just like outside of sponsorship and all that, like yeah. what can we do to kind of make this like, you know, a little bit more, um, uh, keep it, keep the competitiveness up, but just a little more cordial, I guess. If we could well, say. I think this, this is a great, you know, kind of closing question because, um, you know, we've all gone through COVID, right? And mm -hmm. one thing that COVID has taught, taught us, although we shouldn't have needed this lesson, but we did is that COVID doesn't care what color you are doesn't care you know whether you're male or female like it i guess it does care a little bit about age in terms yeah. of the, the side effects for sure um and whether you have a pre-existing condition but the but whether you're going to get covered or not like it's it just it doesn't matter right so we all sort of feel like we're all in this together in a lot of ways um no well, we did for and, a couple months but the news stations kind of drove us a little bit apart but anyway well, you're on, that's you're a on whole nother topic yeah that's a whole nother could, topic yeah but you're on a good roll you're another on day <laughs> another day we'll talk about that um so so in using rivalry for good like we've talked a little bit about sort of the disparate values of the, of the different culture right the cultural differences and how that really drives people apart and there's a lot of hostility but on the flip side another one of the 10 elements is uh synonymous values or cultural which we define as cultural similarity right where we hold very similar values and that can lead to rivalry because if you hold very similar value, this happens in a lot of like high school rivalries. Mm -hmm. It's the neighboring high school. Sometimes they're very different, but a lot of times they're really the yeah. same. And the way that you differentiate from that group is by beating them, you know? Um, and so it becomes really important to you because you kind of care about the same things and you have a lot of the same values, but you want to sort of exert your superiority and competition mm -hmm. over them. So that opponent becomes very salient and top of mind to you, right? More important than other opponents. So that contributes to the rivalry. But even though it contributes to rivalry, there's tons of research that shows that when you point out the similarity between people, it lowers kind of the animosity, mm -hmm. right? So I'm that opponent might be really important to me and it might be really top of mind and it might be a threat to me, you know, advancing in the championship or winning the conference or division, which is what makes it a rival, but it's less hostile because I recognize or that similarity is top of mind. So mm -hmm. um, getting to your question, I would say that one of the ways that, and I'll give you an example uh, to close, um, is when you point out that, hey, you know, we really hate each other on the field, but you know what? We both care a lot about NFL football, or mm -hmm. we both care a lot about, uh, actually the SEC does a great job of this as much as I hate to admit it, um, in college football, uh -huh. but that, that annoying chant, SEC, yeah, SEC, yeah, yeah. which annoys all of us that don't just like means more SEC. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So annoying. <laughs> Such a good marketing slogan. It is, so really good. it is really um, good. But they're creating this, what we would say is a superordinate identity, right? Like it's beyond your team. It's looking at the commonality that we all share. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the things that makes sports so great, right? Is we might root for different teams, but the fact that we can have a conversation about all of these minute details of, you know, the NFL playoffs in 2005 or something shows that we clearly share similar interests, even if we're on different sides. And so I think that understanding that 
uh, and the marketers can influence that, you know, and how you promote the game. Um, we use that SEC example. The example that I'll give locally is uh, University of Cincinnati and Xavier University. Both uh, they're only three miles apart here in Cincinnati. Great college basketball rivalry. Um, so when the pandemic started here in Cincinnati, um, somebody left a tip at like a local restaurant for like a thousand dollars and they put, uh, I think it was, I think it was on the UC side and they put like go Bearcats on the, on the bill and they left a thousand dollar tip. Well, the restaurant like tweeted it out, tweeted out a picture, put it on Instagram, whatever. And within like a couple of days, somebody left a tip at the same restaurant for a thousand dollars and one cent. Love and it, it said, go XU. Love and it. since then, over $20,000 in tips that we know of, the media started tracking it, like the Cincinnati Inquirer, the paper here, started keeping track of it, that we know of, where people left tips with either a go UC Bearcats mm -hmm. or go Xavier message. That's a perfect example of like the rivalry is driving, you know, these donate, well, you could call it a donation, I guess. That's a pretty big tip, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but to the people who really need it, right? Those restaurant workers are the ones who've been affected the most um, mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And that rivalry or that passion to one up the other side, that salient out group, that rival, um, is what has raised all that money um, for those groups. So, awesome. so I'd love to see more of that. And hopefully um, with our work, we can, we can move toward kind of encouraging that um, as well with some of the findings and how sort of the best practices for how that can be implemented in a, in an authentic way. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, I, I hope that it can uh, move in that direction outside of the rivalries I have. I want to keep those the same because I'm pretty happy about them, but you know, just generally let's get a little more cordial with this stuff. I think it's important, but Joe, this was, I'm sure we can continue to talk. I'm sure I have many more questions, but we'll, we'll cap this at a little over an hour. I sincerely appreciate your time yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Michael. Oh, I, of course. I appreciate it being here. Professor Joe Cobb at Joe Cobbs. There's an S at the end at Northern Kentucky university, co-founder of the no rivalry project. Where can we find more information? Where can we find the survey? Where can we find the, the statistics? Where can I find why Eagles fans are the worst? Give me all that information and give it to the people. I'll also put everything in the show notes for everybody that is listening. So you can just go ahead and click on the link as well. Yeah, great. Um, the website we already mentioned, norivalry.com. That's K-N-O-W rivalry.com. Um, we've got a Twitter account. And so we put results out on Twitter uh, as well. Um, it's at no rivalry. Um, those are probably the two best avenues. We do have a LinkedIn, um, page, uh, which is more kind of about my students and the involvement that they have, but definitely check that out. Um, if you'd like to see how the students are, are involved in the research, um, those are probably the best, the best avenues. Love and it. you can contact me too, like me and co-founder, my co-founders at the University of Massachusetts. Um, our bios are on the website as well as our Twitter handles and, and different ways to get in touch with us too. If there's something that you see that you don't agree with or something that you see that you're like, wow, I really think they should look into this. Like send us a note. Love it. Love it. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, everything will be in the show notes for everybody. So appreciate it. Great. Thank All you. Right. No problem. Bye everybody.